0: Last week, we began our four-week series, our Christmas series called The Characters of Christmas, and last week, we took time and we looked at the story of uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth, who of course are the parents of John the Baptist, and while looking at that story, we were able to really see that we're called to be obedient to what God calls us to be and that God has a plan and a call on each of our lives. And it may not be to, re, to receive what we want or in our timing, but God does have a call in our lives and we need to be obedient to it. And today we're actually going to be looking at another couple who are the characters in, a, in the Christmas story that God calls to do an extraordinary thing. And that's going to be Mary and Joseph. And you can find the scripture today. We're going to be in two different places. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1 verses 26 through 38 and we're going to be in Matthew 1 verses 18 through 25 so if you have your Bibles I encourage you to open them up if you don't have a Bible in the back of the pew in front of you you can find Luke chapter 1 on page 1177 and Matthew chapter 1 on page 1111 and I would say for you watching live online uh, but for those who may want to watch this later as a recorded message, you know, I encourage you to have a Bible with you. Um, and I also want to encourage you, if you're watching this online, that this doesn't replace you attending a church. You know, even though we're able to watch online, we should still take that time to be involved in a church, in a church community. So I encourage everyone, even if you, there's times you want to watch online, don't let that stop you from coming into the house. Always make sure you're coming into the house so that we can serve and do life together. So on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, we were in here um, doing different work. It was, I think, me, Mike, Micah, Ms. Bessie, Ms. Joanne. And we were in here, and Ms. Bessie and Joanne were working on different Christmas decorations. And they started to put up the nativity scene. And by the way, I think we moved this nativity scene four times maybe, maybe five, hard to tell. But it's interesting, during the time we were doing it, Ms. Bessie made the comment, hey, we need to make sure that Mary and Joseph are looking at Jesus. And I thought, how profound is that? That, you know, even as we're putting this nativity scene together, that we want to make sure Mary and Joseph's eyes are on Jesus. Well, what about in our own lives? that we need to make sure our eyes are fixed on Jesus at all times. So it's interesting as as I was doing this, and we finally moved it over, and as I'm placing Jesus down at the feet of Mary and Joseph, I looked up to make sure their eyes were looking down at baby Jesus. And as I looked into their eyes that Wednesday before Thanksgiving, I thought about, you know, I'm going to be talking about Mary and Joseph in this series I wonder what Christmas looked like to them. I wonder what that very first Christmas looked like. So if you'll indulge me today, what I would like to do is look at what Christmas looked like, or Christmas through the eyes of Mary and Joseph. So that's why we're going to be in two different places. So as we begin to read, we're going to start out in Luke chapter 1. And Luke chapter one goes on and it says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel who sent was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at this saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. And behold, uh, then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God Now indeed, Elizabeth was Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, "Behold, the maids, behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word." And the angel departed from her. And now as we flip over to Matthew, chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. And this is for the Joseph. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph... and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Heavenly Father, as we dig into your word today, Lord, may you open up our eyes and our hearts to see what it is you want us to see. Lord, may my words glorify you and be only yours. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name, amen. So a couple things we want to think about as we look at this Christmas story, and being, you know, parents, grandparents, and even as Christians, what can we actually learn looking at Christmas through the eyes of Mary and Joseph? And secondly, what do people learn from us concerning Christmas as a Christian or as a parent or as a grandparent? You know, you think about it, we should consider and be very mindful of what others see of us during Christmas. Because ultimately, some different things you want to ask yourself is, what do they see when I talk about Christmas? Or what do they see of my actions or reactions for Christmas? Do they see us, maybe, you know, some of us, we get really stressed out? We're stressed out. We got to buy the perfect gift. Or maybe we're just, you know, angry because of everything going on or we're too busy competing with the Joneses or the Sams or other people in our neighborhood, maybe even family members. Man, my house has to be decorated better than their house. My kids need to have better presents than their kids have. Man, I got to be driving a better car than they have. And we get all caught up in this, especially around Christmas time, because it ultimately becomes all about the money. Christmas in the United States and around the world has become so materialized that it is now all about the money. It's got to be the right brand. Well, you got to have Nike. You can't have FUBU. You got to have Reebok. You can't have Adidas. You know, and all of it is just crazy. And they have really made Christmas not what Christmas should be. They've removed Christ from Christmas. And the question I have is, is that what people see in you? Do they see that in you or some of them qualities in you during this Christmas time? Or do they actually see you filled with love and peace? Or do they actually see you with joy and service Do they see you taking that time to worship and fellowship within the church body and truly celebrating what the reason for the season is? And of course, that is Jesus Christ. He is the reason for this season. And we need to make sure he's at the forefront of what people see in us. And unfortunately, I don't think that's always what we see. And even going through today's story, I think we're going to see some parallels of things that we do or that the world does through the eyes of Mary and Joseph. So as we begin in verse 26 and 27, it says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph in the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So the first thing we see is Mary's not a prophet. Mary's not a priest. She's not working in the temple burning incense, she's not doing anything like that like we saw last week with Zacharias or even through John, uh, John the Baptist or the prophets. She is just a normal, everyday, humble Jewish girl. She's probably planning her wedding because it says that she's been betrothed to, to um, Joseph. And what's interesting is she's probably between the ages of 12 and 14 years old. That's how young Mary would have been in this time and in Jewish tradition. She would have only been between 12 and 14 years old. And all of this is going on, which really makes you change. Yeah, I see you shaking your head. 12 to 14 years old, I don't want to be married. I don't want to have kids. (laughs) But that's probably how old she is. And you need to understand the custom in that day. Basically, what would have happened is two families would have got together. And they would have agreed on a price. They would have agreed on the price, and the father of the groom would have paid the certain price for the daughter to the other father, and they would have had this basically arranged marriage, and they would have paid the father for their daughter. They would have paid for their bride, basically, and then what would happen is the families would actually come together and have a a big celebration, and they would announce that the couple was betrothed or engaged. Now, of course, this engagement was different than what we see as engagements for today. It would actually last for a year. So their engagement or their betrothal would be one year long. And during that time, everything they did, they were considered already to be husband and wife, even though they weren't married. The only difference is they did not live together at all. Because they wanted to make sure that they had no union together and that no feelings would come up and cause them to come together before they got married. But other than that, everything and the whole relationship people would think and assume that they were actually married together and that's how they went through their life. So now you think about it for for Mary, everything's just going perfect, you know, for you ladies. Remember when you were planning your wedding day? And it's a year out and you're planning, you're so excited. Oh, this is what I'm going to wear. I got to get this. Oh, I got to ask these friends to come. Whatever it was, she was excited. She was planning her wedding. And then all of a sudden, verse 28 and 29 come in. And it says, and having come in, the angel said to her, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting was this. Now think about this. Between 12 and 14 years old, all of a sudden an angel shows up. The first thing the angel says, rejoice. Rejoice. Highly favored one. What would your reaction be if all of a sudden the angel just showed up in your room and said, rejoice, highly favored one. I would probably freak out. (laughs) Now, I don't know about you. I would probably freak out at this point. Or I'd be, you know, and even you could see Mary, she was troubled. You know, and trouble could be like perplexed or, you know, confused on what was going on. But here Gabriel comes in and tells her to rejoice and says, The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And we think about this and we think about Mary's reaction. Well, what about us? When you feel that tug from God that he's calling you to do something, what is your reaction? Do you have a reaction of you're going to rejoice and God, thank you. I'm going to do exactly what you called me to do. Or we sometimes apprehensive or maybe a little troubled or perplexed. Really, God, you want me to do this? I can't do that, God. In her case, I'm only 12, 13, 14 years old. God, how can I do this? And I think sometimes as adults, we get caught in that same thing. God, I don't know how I'm going to do this. But when he calls us, we need to step forward and be obedient. And it goes on in verses 30 through 33, and it says, Then the angel said to her, Gabriel starts to explain what he meant when he first came in. And in verse 30, it says, you have found favor with God. What a blessing that would be to know that we found favor with God, especially being told that we were found in favor of God. And see, unfortunately, a lot of people actually misuse this verse and misuse this scripture. And see, God chose Mary. A normal, humble girl, God chose her. He blessed her, and she humbly accepted the call to be the mother of Jesus, but nothing more than that. She agreed with the call to be the mother of Jesus. Now, it's an interesting call, and no doubt it's a very important call, but that's what it was, a call to bring Jesus incarnate into the world. And to give him the name Jesus. That's what she was called to do. And understand the name Jesus in the Greek is the Hebrew name for Joshua or Yeshua. Which ultimately means um, Yahweh saves. And just as Joshua led the Israelites into the promised land, we know Jesus is going to lead people into that promise of eternal life. And that's ultimately what we need to continue to look for. And it goes on and says, then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? Now I want you to understand, this is not a show me kind of how. This is a simple something that we would ask, well, how? How are we going to do this? It's not a, well, how you need to show me. And you got to understand, a lot of times I think we get caught up with God, show me this. Instead of just saying how and being obedient and stepping forward, we want that sign. We are to live by faith, not by sight. And we live by faith, not by proof of what it should be. And that's basically what Mary's asking here. Well, how? How am I going to do this if I've never been with a man and I'm still a virgin? And it's a legitimate question for her to ask. And Gabriel goes on in verse 35 and explains, actually, her... To explains to her what's going to happen. And he says, And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. So what we see here is God's plan. Gabriel is basically giving God's plan. He says the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and the power of the Most High is going to overshadow you. And now some say because Jesus didn't have a human father and that he was sinless, they actually say that Mary was sinless also. And they talk about coming to Jesus through the Holy Mother of Grace, Mary. And I'm going to touch on that in just a minute. (laughs) Understand Jesus was born sinless because of his miraculous birth, not because of his birth to a virgin. <clears throat> but because of his holy position with God as God remember Jesus is also God it's in the trinity for through the birth of Jesus God basically entered human a uh, human form as it says in John 1, one. in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and in John 1:14 the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us that is why he was sinless That is why Jesus was sinless. He was and he is God. It has nothing to do with the Virgin Mary and the Virgin birth. And see, as a child, I was raised Roman Catholic. Think of that theology for a minute. I was raised Roman Catholic and I'm a Baptist pastor. Think of that for a minute. (laughs) But I was raised Roman Catholic, and I remember so many times being an altar boy, and you know Christmas was coming, and the priest would be up there, and even not during Christmas, uh, the priest would be up there, and he would be speaking about Jesus but pointing to Mary. And that's not how it works. Mary was obedient to the call that God called for her life, but that is it. And thank God she was obedient to the call on her life. Thank God she was obedient to give birth to the the son of God. But remember, she was a willing vessel to be used by God, just as we should be willing vessels to be used by God. See, God can do miraculous things. And he can still do them today. We just need to be willing vessels, just need to be willing to be obedient to what God calls us to do. And ultimately, when we become a willing vessel, who gets the honor, glory and praise? God, not us. Mary did a miraculous thing. She was open to what God called her to do. But God should get the praise, not Mary. Verse 36 and 37 go on, they say, now, indeed, Elizabeth, was Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month of her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. <clears throat> so we're going to see here that Elizabeth is related to Mary, which ultimately makes Jesus and John the Baptist relatives. And in verse 39, which we didn't read, you actually see if you continue to read on that as soon as this, as soon as uh, Gabriel told her this, she got ready and she hurried and she went to spend time with Elizabeth. And according to verse 56 in Luke, she actually stays there for three months. So she leaves uh, Nazareth. She heads to, to where Elizabeth is, spends three months with her and before she comes back. What is interesting is I like what verse 37 says, nothing is impossible with God. Absolutely nothing is impossible with God. And you think about last week, we saw Elizabeth becomes pregnant. Elizabeth, who is old and barren, gives birth. Now we see the Virgin Mary, Mary as a virgin, is going to become pregnant with the Son of God and give birth to a son. Only God can do something like that because nothing is impossible to God. We see Jesus comes into this earth. He's going to be lying in that manger in Bethlehem. Puts away his equality with God to become just like us. He lives to understand the same temptations that we go through. He knows our struggles. He has went through everything we have went through and still chose to die on a cross for us. To be raised again and to sit at the right hand of the Father, all because he loves us and nothing is impossible with uh, through God. nothing is impossible with God. If you notice something in verse 38 and I think it's something that each of us can really look at and understand that we need to do it says then mary said behold the maidservant of the lord let it be to me according to your word behold the maidservant of the lord behold i am your servant lord it sounds so easy but it's so hard And I truly think at that moment, the moment that Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord, I think a cloud came over her life. And I don't think that cloud left until after Jesus was dead and was raised from the grave. And I believe she knew it on that day. I believe she knew what she was going to get herself into. And you think about this. How is she going to explain that she's pregnant to her family? How is she going to explain it to Joseph? What about her reputation? What about her family's reputation? All of this going on, and understand that within her decision to fully submit to God's call, including her willingness to suffer, to be ridiculed, to be held in contempt, loneliness, times of confusion, disappointment, and fear. All of that going on when she makes that comment, behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Knowing that all of that could happen. And she was between 12 and 14 years old. Between 12 and 14. I'm 56 years old and I don't know if I want all that, them issues in my life between 12 and 14 years old, and she was obedient to what God called her to be. She had no guarantee that Joseph would take her. She had no guarantee that her parents or family would accept her back in. She could easily have faced the rest of her life alone, but she was obedient to what God called her to be. Mary goes off and visits Elizabeth. And then she has to come back and face music and see Joseph. And by reading his response, we know obviously it was a negative response initially. Talks about he basically wanted to give her a divorce. Now, we'll give you a little backstory on Nazareth. Nazareth, during biblical times, was known for its sin, known for its guilty pleasures, There was a Roman um, fort not far from there. And it was a place where the Roman soldiers would go to their blue light district and drink and do all kinds of things. So it wasn't considered a good place. And if you remember later in scripture, it even says what good can come out of Nazareth. Nazareth was not a top-notch place at the time and now here Mary who's from Nazareth has to go and tell Joseph I'm pregnant and you're not the father. And ultimately between the age of 12 and 14 years old taking these steps. So I'll get back to that in a minute. Let's go let's check out what the eyes of Joseph what Christmas must have looked like. And it says in, in Matthew verses eight, uh, chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. So Matthew tells us that Joseph was a righteous man. He's a good man. And like Mary, he was observed the Mosaic law. He observed the law and was doing what he was called to do. He was a carpenter. Now, a carpenter, um, we think of carpenters more like cabinet guys nowadays. But back in biblical time, carpenters were people who actually planned and built houses. Um, they not only built homes, but they built furniture, tools, everything else. Um, so a carpenter was a, basically a construction worker, a craft, a, you know, someone who had many trades. He probably didn't know how to do electrical work, though. That's a joke. <laughs> and also, Joseph was probably, believe it or not, about 25 years old. So Joseph was about 25, Mary's between 12 and 14. And you may say that is crazy, but back in biblical times, that was very common. That's nothing unusual in biblical times. Some theologians say that he was probably about 21. But as far as someone you know already being known as a carpenter, he would have already built his trade. So it would have put him a little older than 21 years old. But it goes on in verses 20 to 25, and it says, But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary to you Mary your wife, for that which is conceived in her is the holy is of the holy spirit, and she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name for you call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took him his wife, and did not know her till, had, till she had brought first, forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. Now, I kind of think about this. I know me, and if I was engaged to someone, and she came to me and said, "Hey, I'm pregnant, and you're not the daddy," I'd probably be really mad. I'd probably be highly upset, and probably, I don't know if I would have been as righteous as Joseph, and you know, I want to put her away quietly. I don't think it would have went that way. But for Joseph, as much as he may have been confused, as much as he may have been angry, he didn't act that way. He didn't act out. He basically, being that righteous man, looked and I've got to do what's right, but I don't want her to be hurt. So you probably figure, I'm sure he was angry and probably had a mixture of both, but he decided to do the right thing. He decided to do the right thing. The angel of the Lord comes to him in verse 20 and says, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And we need to understand it's always the right time to do the right thing. Now we may not always think that, but it is always the right time to do the right thing. And this is what Joseph did. He ends up doing the right thing. It's interesting that nowhere else, really, in the Bible do we see anything about Joseph. Joseph, the father of Jesus, you really don't see nothing else more about. You know, obviously, we know he was a good father. We know he was a good father because we know that Jesus was raised in a godly home, he was raised with godly parents. And the one account of Jesus is in younger life at 12 years old where was he found? Teaching in the synagogue. So he must have had good godly parents for him to be able to do that. Now, some may say, no, it was God preparing his way. And yes, I believe God did prepare his way. But I think it started with the parents. I think God picked the parents for him to know that he would be raised knowing God's word, knowing the law and being able to move forward with it. And the parents are the ones who gave Jesus the right surroundings to grow up in. And I think we miss that so many times. Making sure our our children or even our grandchildren have the right surroundings to grow up in. A lot of times, I think we just take it for granted. We take it for granted that well, we're doing what's right, even when we're not doing what's right. It's always the right time to do the right thing, especially when kids are watching. When anyone younger is watching, it's always the right time to do the right thing. Will we mess up? Yes. Will we mess up as parents and grandparents? Yes. We will mess up, but we need to always try and do the right thing. Do what's right and provide that that surrounding for our kids and our grandkids to grow up and understand and know what God's word says. Know what it means. Know that this is a whole lot different than what's out there in the world. And be there to have them conversations to help them grow and nurture them as they're growing. Be a righteous father or righteous Mary just as they were to baby Jesus. Do what's right all the time. Now one other thing we notice is you don't see it in this story, but Mary and Joseph were actually poor. They didn't have a lot of money. And you can actually see this as two different details in the Christmas story that we'll touch later on. But the details, the first one comes with the first crib, the crib in the manger. It's found in Luke chapter 2 verses 12 and verse 16. Now evidently Joseph didn't have the family connections he needed when they had to go to Bethlehem. Either he didn't have the family connections Or because knowing that Mary was pregnant, the family wouldn't let him in. Bible doesn't say. It just says there was no room in the inn. And we're going to talk about the innkeeper on Wednesday night, so make sure you join us on Wednesday night. We'll dig into it a little more. But ultimately, there was no room for him. And in most of these cases in biblical times, they were very close with family connections. A family would have had a place for Mary and Joseph to stay, but there was no place for them to stay, and they ended up having uh, bearing Jesus inside the manger. And the second is actually after Jesus was born, and it's found in Luke chapter two, verse twenty-two through twenty-four, when they bring Jesus to the temple, and they offer two turtle doves as their sacrifice. And in Leviticus 12, Leviticus 12 kind of lays out the sacrificial system, and it actually says that when presenting their firstborn child to the temple, either a pigeon or turtle dove is only acceptable when the couple cannot afford a lamb. So it tells you that they couldn't present a lamb as an offering when they brought Jesus to the temple, and they only brought turtle doves that they were lacking and they didn't have the money or the resources to be able to do it. And we see that this is an option that demonstrates God's mercy towards the rapport and also a reflection on Joseph and Mary's social status. So what can we learn from the parents of Jesus? I think there's some biblical principles surrounding the call of God that we see in this story. You know, I think God calls ordinary people to do anything but ordinary work. Mary and Joseph were ordinary parents living in a good, normal life. They were just normal. Looking at the story, there was nothing that would say, hey, these are going to be the parents of God. They were normal, just like us. The task they performed could only be performed in a way that God got the glory because it was a God-called God task. God had to get the glory through the story. And there's no other way through this story that God wouldn't have got it. God called them, ordinary people, to do a very unordinary task or unordinary work. Also think that God gives us courage. God gives courage to ordinary people to do God's work. God equips and empowers us to do a task that he calls us to do. When we don't think we can do it and God calls us to do it, he's going to give us that courage to go through it. Because a lot of times we get that fear inside of us. We get that butt that shows up, but uh, I don't know if I can do this. God gives us the courage to get past that. And ultimately we're going to make mistakes. We're going to make mistakes as we're doing what God's called us to do. But understand that while we're making them mistakes, he's just preparing us for something special, something more. He's given us the courage to do the task he calls us to do. And I think God helps us through our doubts and through our fears in his calling. When it is his calling on our lives, I think our doubts and fears, he helps us to get through them. He helps us to get through that time in the wilderness. I hate going through the wilderness wilderness is not a good place to have to go, (laughs) but that is the time that he's building us up and we need to not be afraid to take them journeys through the wilderness because if God calls us to do it, he's going to help us with them doubts and them fears that we have through them callings. So ultimately God calls ordinary people God will give us courage, and God will give us the help that we need. So something to think about this week is, as we begin and you start hearing more and more people say, Merry Christmas, I encourage you to make sure your children or your grandchildren or anyone you may come in contact with see you in this Christmas season with peace, with calmness, joy, faith, and trust. Just like the examples of Mary and Joseph. It wasn't about the money. It wasn't about who's going to get the best gift. It was about being obedient to what God called them to do. Not knowing how it was going to turn out. Knowing that as a young child, being pregnant, not being married, not knowing what the people would say about her. She was still obedient to what God called her to do. And I really think that as we go through this season, we need to kind of let Mary's words be ours. I am the Lord's servant. May it be as you have said.